What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And for those of you who are not following me on social media, which it should be at the Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter, always linked down in the description below. But anyways, this week is super duper exciting. I'm doing five episodes, so Monday through Friday, five different authors, great thinkers, and we're talking about something so, so important. So before I introduce today's first guest, Andy Norman, I want to talk about why we're doing this this week. So the overarching topic of this week, it's it's scientific thinking as well as healthy conflict, right? So one of the reasons I love to read and learn so much is because I know that it's difficult for so many of us to share different ideas and thoughts. And, you know, sometimes we, we just get these insane ideas and spread misinformation or believe the wrong things and stuff like that. And I'm always curious about like, how do we talk about this? How do we become better thinkers? You know, because I used to think science was like mixing chemicals and stuff like that. But scientific thinking is more of a, a process to improve our decision making and understanding of the world and what we're all trying to do, which is get closer to truth. So the other important aspect of that is how do we have difficult conversations with people we disagree with, whether it's uh, on, on like politics or morality or, you know, uh, religion and, and things like that. Like, cause we can all coexist, but we need to get deeper into kind of how we think about this stuff. So today's first guest is Andy Norman, and he is a philosopher of science and I, I heard him talking to Michael Shermer, who will be a guest this coming Friday. Uh, I, I heard him on Michael Shermer's podcast, and I was like, this guy, this guy's amazing. I need to get his book, Mental Immunity, the second it comes out. So Andy, his whole thing is kind of talking about how, how we need to build up our mental immune system. We need to check the information that's coming in. We need to check our own beliefs, and as we do this it's kind of like an antivirus which is very you know relevant uh and i think uh, you know we it's easier for us to find the similarities with you know the the covid vaccine coming out and stuff like that but how do we immunize ourselves from bad ideas how do we how do we make sure that we're checking the ideas that are coming in and and this this kind of stuff this whole week all this stuff is so important to me because being able to question my own ideas and beliefs is what pretty much saved my life when I got sober, all right? I had to start questioning everything and realizing I'm not the smartest person, but something else Andy and I talk about in this conversation is this balance between skepticism and, you know, just just trust, you know what I mean? Because if we question too many things, we will drive ourselves insane. But anyways, this, this week is so important, so make sure you are subscribed or following on whatever uh, platform you're listening on. Uh, we have five amazing, amazing guests. Uh, tomorrow I will be talking to Lee McIntyre, who wrote a book called The Scientific Attitude. That's also a great one. But anyways, like I said, make sure you're following me on social media at The Rewired Soul. And down in the description after this, if you like this book, if you like this conversation, you will love the book, I mean. So make sure you check out Andy's book, Mental Immunity. It'll be linked down in the description below. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Andy Norman.
So welcome to the podcast. Andy, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. So, so for those, uh, I was just recently introduced to your work, but for everybody listening who has yet to meet you, what's, what's kind of your background? What do you teach and, and what's the book all about? Yeah. Uh, so I'm a philosopher by training and I've, I've been in the philosophy racket for uh, several decades now. Uh, I've dearly loved teaching. Uh, and although I don't have the, the privilege of teaching college students at the moment, um, for a long, long time, I've been trying to th- help young people become better critical thinkers. Mm. And about 30 years ago, I discovered that there's actually a better way to think about critical thinking, a way that can actually help us um, accelerate our progress towards a world where everyone's a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, and the core idea there is that minds have immune systems just as bodies do. And that these immune systems function to protect us against infectious ideas, just as the body's immune system functions to protect us against Mm. infectious microbes. And just as the body's immune system can function at less less than peak capacity and sometimes fail badly, the mind's immune system can tends to function at less than peak capacity and can sometimes uh, uh, collapse. Mm -hmm. And I think the, uh, the cognitive contagion we're seeing in our world today where utter nonsense spreads virally around the world is a sign that our mental and cultural immune systems are in dramatic need of an upgrade. And so my book, Mental Immunity, is all about how we can do that and spare future generations from uh, the kind of social dislocation that really has been in uh, afflicting our species for thousands of years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, that's, that's why I love, I really love the, the immune system analogy. And here's, here's the biggest question I have. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm just a guy. I love to read. I love to learn. I love to ask questions and have conversations and all that. But when I read books like yours and I read books on critical thinking and skepticism and having conversations, here's my question for you. Who, who is the target audience? And here's why I ask that. When I, when I read a book, right, like we're talking about how bad ideas spread and just off the top of my head, I, I, I recently had a guest who debunks conspiracy theories like QAnon. Like, Nick West, right? Yep, yep, there you go. Sure. Like when I read his book or I read your book, I'm like, is somebody who believes in wild con- uh, conspiracy theories going to pick up this book, read it, and take these lessons in or like, so what's the target audience? What's your, what's your hope or how do you hope to get this message out there? Yeah. So I call this the cranky uncle problem. Um, <laughs> not because I coined the phrase, but because a fellow researcher along with Nick West and myself in this field is named John Cook. And he actually has developed uh, an app of, that where you get to actually interact with your cranky uncle who's a conspiracy theorist and you try to try to debunk his conspiracy theories in a way that doesn't uh, inflame his mind's immune system and lead to pushback. So it's the cranky uncle problem. And, and frankly, the, the cranky uncles who've gone down the rabbit holes of the world are the hardest cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps the people who need the uh, need cognitive immunology, the science of mental immunity more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm under no illusion that, you know, all the conspiracy theorists out there are going to buy my book and heal themselves. It, does, yeah. it, it doesn't work that way. 
so it would be love it would be lovely if it does but um i think the realistic thing is to adopt a more patient strategy what you do initially is you help boost the mental immune functioning of the willing first and foremost mm. meaning people like yourself who really care about educating yourself and, and improving your critical thinking skills um and then uh and then because you can do that and begin to raise your own, um, become a better enforcer of accountable talk, then the conversations you have with others start to influence mm -hmm. them and it propagates outward. Mm. So, so I, I'm not gonna try to cure all the world's conspiracy theories in one step because I just <laughs> don't think that's possible, right? But it turns out that time and again in human history, people have introduced philosophical insights that have have uh, propagated outward through the culture and train and changed those cultures in dramatic ways and mm -hmm. that's what i'm trying to do here yeah no absolutely and and you know i think it's really uh you know relevant to like and it makes more sense during this pandemic and with the pandemic kind of ending like if we get vaccinated or immune you know maybe it'll help others uh, so i really dig that exactly it's, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and in the same way that, uh, you know, maintaining our immunity to COVID is a team sport, right? Mm. We have to, we, we, we all have to do our part if we're going to uh, reach herd immunity or if we're going to stop COVID from spreading. And in exactly the same way, if we want to create a culture that's immune to wacko conspiracy theories, we all have to do our part. We all have to do our best to inoculate ourselves and, and encourage inoculation among the people close to us. And I'm talking here about mind inoculation, not body inoculation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so what, what's interesting, and like, I, I learned about your book when you were on Michael Shermer's podcast right before it came out. I was like, I have to get this book. And you two talked about some really interesting stuff. And in it, you know, uh, and in the book, it, it seems it seems like, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you see certain aspects of beliefs and ideas as kind of black and white. And you have, in the book, you kind of discuss, you know, these bad ways of thinking, like, for example, everybody's entitled to their own beliefs. Everybody, right. So, so can you, can you kind of discuss that? Like one of the metaphors I, I love that you use is our ideas are kind of like a community garden where it can mess up other people's gardens. Yeah. Um, so, so in your opinion, or like what, what are bad beliefs or what are some of the things that we do that kind of hinders our mental immunity? Yeah, um, uh, so you're, you've hit on what is perhaps the central philosophical question at the heart of this entire cognitive immunology enterprise. And by the way, those aren't scare quotes. That's, these, are, these are quotes that just mean the science is new, the yeah. terminology is new, but it's coming, it's gonna stay. Um, the science of mental immunity is, 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 is rapidly becoming a scientific reality. So no square quotes here, just, <laughs> just helping you get used to the, a new term. Yeah. Um, and the central philosophical question behind cognitive immunology is, is what is a bad idea? And how do you know if an idea is a good one or a bad one? Um, and I'm not claiming to be the arbiter of that, I think in most cases, the facts are the arbiter of which ideas are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones. So, um, so here's the thing, right? We, we, we live in a culture right now that tends to assume that when you label something good or bad, you're just issuing a subjective opinion. You're, you're just valuing it and all valuing is subjective. So 
who's to say if an idea is really good or really bad? Mm -hmm. The problem with this who's to say question is that it basically uh, absolves you of responsibility for making tough moral judgments. It, mm -hmm. I call it a mental immune disruptor because it's an excuse for, for being responsibility avoidant. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the same way that I'm entitled to my beliefs, so go away with your critical questions, is a responsibility avoidant behavior, right? Yeah. Now, it turns out we need to shed those, those ideas and the responsibility avoidant behaviors they foster if we're going to create a culture that's, uh, that's more immune mm -hmm. to nonsense. Um, now, so the alternative to regarding value judgments about ideas as, good, uh, as subjective is to is to reserve the term bad idea for ideas that have objectively problematic properties. And there are many properties that we all recognize as problematic. Mm -hmm. If an idea is useful but false, the, the fact that it is false counts against it. It should count against it. It's, a, it's an objectively negative feature of an idea if it is false. What would, what would like an example of that be? <clears throat> Uh, useful, but um, I'm sorry, uh, useful, but false. Yeah, <laughs> sure. So I'm, as you might guess, because I was appeared on the Michael Shermer show, I'm not a God believer. Yeah. So it seems to me that the idea that God will provide, God mm -hmm. will take care of me. <laughs> um, I have zero evidence that that's true, but I'm quite confident that it can provide psychological benefits. Mm -hmm. Believing that can calm your mind and make you feel less vulnerable to the world. And that's an important psychological effect. And in the same way that the possible falsehood or the definite lack of evidence for that belief counts against it, mm -hmm. I also argue that the psychological benefits of a belief like that count for it. Mm -hmm. So we need to, when we evaluate ideas, we need to look at the ups, what I call the upstream evidence. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at the downstream consequences of, of believing or accepting it because, because wise thinkers take both into account. Mm -hmm. So uh, for a long, long time, the discipline of science has said, well, uh, let's just, just let's, let's pay attention only to the upstream evidence and let the downstream consequences of belief be what they are. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the religions of the world say, well, you know what? Actually, these beliefs um, give me hope. These beliefs gives me courage. These beliefs inspire me. These beliefs make me a better person. The religions of the world have long recognized that our ideas and attitudes have downstream consequences that mm. can have a huge impact on our well-being. Um, and of course, religion and science have been butting heads for centuries. And what I try to do in chapter six of the book is yeah. say, it doesn't have, we don't have to take an either or attitude here. We can take a both and a attitude because each of these two institutions um, has their handle, has a handle on a piece of the truth. Mm -hmm. Both upstream evidence and truth do matter the way science has always insisted, but the downstream consequences of belief also matter the way the religions have always insisted. And a genuinely wise person pays attention to both mm. and, and tries to fill their minds with um, ideas that check all the boxes that are both true and beneficial.
Mm. And yeah, it's interesting that you, you, you bring that up because my, myself, I'm an atheist as well, but real quick backstory. I got sober in 2012 and it was through 12 step meetings. And, mm. you know, what I didn't realize is a lot of people going to 12 step meetings are atheists or agnostic, but they're always talking about the God and spiritual thing, but kind of like what you're, you're talking about. I found the benefits in this kind of just mm. belief that, you know, there's, you know, I'm not, for me, it was more of a control thing. I can't control everything, right? Even if it's just like the weather or circumstances, things are chaotic. But, you know, I, I'm not a religious person. I'm not a believer, but it was, you know, this kind of belief that things can get better. Things aren't in my control. So that, I don't know how many of the listeners, you know, that resonates with, but if I'm understanding you correctly, you know, the wise person, what we're trying to do is balance those two things, like understanding yes. that, like that we can have belief and hope, but <laughs> there's also scientific evidence. Yeah. I mean, it can be hard to be both real, realistic and optimistic, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times a, a sober look at reality can be really depressing. And the trick is to hang on to your optimism while also being, you know, honest with with what the world is really like. I, mm -hmm. my, my beef with many of the world's religions is that they try to buy us optimism at the expense of their intellectual honesty, mm. right? And, and that always has side effects that harm. So if you indulge in, in willful believing for the sake of your own psychological health, but pass on costs to others because of your lack of intellectual honesty, you, you need to rethink whether you're being a sufficiently responsible thinker. Yeah. So it, are you saying kind of like, just for example, the belief that you don't need, you know, modern medicine because God will heal because that has consequences for other people. That's a beautiful example, right? So if you, if you decide that uh, you're not going to get your child life-saving medical care because God will provide, Mm -hmm. right? And your child dies, you've harmed, in fact, you've killed somebody that modern science could might have saved because of your faith. Yeah. So in your opinion, what do you, what do you think the solution for that is? So like, I grew up here in Las Vegas, where, uh, you know, uh, we're, we have a very large Mormon community here, right? We're right next door to Utah and all that. But for most people, they're, you know, they're, they're born into it, they're raised into it every single Sunday during the week, you know, so, so what are, what are even some, like, are there any potential solutions? Because it feels like your entire life and uh, uh, identity revolves around this. So how is somebody supposed to separate those two things? Yeah, that's a really hard question. Um, I, I think, Many of my non-believer friends are, are, are kind of disdainful of those who are raised in religious traditions. Uh, I myself think it's important to, to be much more patient and compassionate with people who've, who've been raised in such traditions and have developed religious identities. Mm -hmm. um, it's not easy to let go of any identity, religious or secular. And uh, sometimes our, I, the identities we embrace don't serve us well, and they don't serve the larger the cause of human well-being well, um, but they become kind of emotional crutches for us, right? They, they help mm -hmm. to solidify our sense that we belong or, or our sense that we matter. Um, but you can't just do that willy-nilly. 
mm-hmm. around any set of beliefs and assume that, that you're doing the right thing. Um, so one of the things we know is that when you hitch your identity to a set of beliefs, your mind responds defensively to challenges to those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, the kind of defensive reaction here is exactly like, a, a ment- like an immune overreaction. Yeah. So, so in the same way that your, your body's immune system can freak out and, and start attacking things it shouldn't attack, your mind's immune system can freak out and start attacking good, good questions mm-hmm. and, and dismissing them before they ever have a chance to change your mind. Um, so a really good way to uh, reduce inflammation, the, the, uh, the, the mental analog of, of bad inflammation is to, is to let go of beliefs that are part of your identity or treat them as, as house guests mm-hmm. that might wear out their welcome. Mm-hmm. So, so when we cling to beliefs like heirloom furniture, then we, our minds become closed to information that might actually allow us to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And the solution to that is to, is to not hitch your identity to any set of beliefs, but instead hitch your identity to something like honest inquiry, which will allow you to continue growing throughout your life. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Um, like <laughs> it's weird. This is the first time I've, I've like I've talked about my uh, my sobriety on my YouTube channel for years, but this is the first time diving into it. But I, I worked at a treatment center for three years, and something I I noticed um, really quickly is you know the the problems that people who struggle with like addiction or other life circumstances like they're they're facing the same issues as other people, and it's these mm. belief systems, right? Like my big aha moment when I got sober was just kind of like what you were talking about, which just start to ask, you know, questions and keep this open mind and asking, like, why do you believe this? Why do you believe these things that you believe? But it seems like, you know, it's not just certain groups. It's not just conspiracy theorists. It's not just religious people. It's not just addicts. So how, like, and, and you've been teaching for years, like, have you seen anything that kind of induces that kind of aha moment, like where it's okay to question your own thoughts and ideas and beliefs? Yeah, um, actually, yeah, I've seen that happen many times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes in my classroom, sometimes just in conversations I'm having with friends and or even strangers. Um, I mean, yeah, it, you hit on a good point. It's not just the wackiest conspiracy theorists that are the problem here. Every single one of us harbors mind parasites. And by the way, mind parasites have have flown under the radar under the under the label bad ideas for a long, long time. Yeah. But I'm relabeling the mind parasites so that we can do a better job of of hunting them down and and removing them. Yeah. Um, every single one of us can improve along this dimension. And in fact, everyone you know in your life who is not profoundly wise can has work to do to strengthen their mental immune system. Mm-hmm. I actually think that deep immunity to bad ideas is, is essentially wisdom. And our culture is not producing wise people at anything like the rate it needs to if we're going to save our planet from, mm-hmm. from destruction. Yeah. So we, we got a major wisdom deficit problem, mm-hmm. wisdom gap. And I think this new science of mental immunity can help us uh, span that gap, can help us address the issue. 
Yeah, and you 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 talk about uh, how you how you started teaching and stuff, and I, I believe it was like the first semester, or first year, right? Like you were like super nervous and all that, and then you started asking questions like. And, and now you've been teaching for years and, you know, you ask your students to think on stuff and ask questions like when, when you say like our, our society isn't really helping people to foster these kind of questions and, I, and, and to get rid of these mind parasites, where do you think the solutions start? Like, do, is this something that we should like start teaching in grade school? Is there something in the school system? Is there, is there any yeah. way to rehabilitate adults? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think we should start really young. There's actually a movement for philosophy for children, mm. which is, I think has wonderful power. If you've ever watched a group of children get excited about a really simple, basic philosophical question, like, I don't know, is, is the fish Nemo real or not? There's a wonderful, uh, video on YouTube where a dad who does, who uses questions masterfully to get his two young daughters to reflect on whether Nemo is real. Mm. And, and the kids are all kind of confused about how you test things for reality. Mm-hmm. And, but they're actually working it through and becoming wiser just as you watch. And it's just a beautiful little demonstration of the power of sort of just open-minded philosophical conversation to make us more discriminating uh, consumers of beliefs about what's real and and not real or true and false or good versus bad. And these are all the questions philosophers have wrestled with for thousands of years. And, and it's the job of people trained in philosophy, like, like me to actually encourage people to think collaboratively about these questions in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been I've done for year after year after year. So yeah, given the amount of time uh, young kids spend in classrooms, the first twenty years of their life, roughly, um, we have to be making better use of that classroom time to to promote mental immunity to bad ideas. I mean, the fact that viral nonsense is spreading around the world in alarming ways, mm-hmm. even among the college educated, is a sign that that our educational system is failing us badly in this mm-hmm. regard. And I think the way to uh, address that problem is to redesign education in ways that spark a passion for idea testing. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have a 12 year old son and it's something that I try to do and something I, I often wrestle with is, you know, and I think a lot of parents do like what's, you know, what's the school's responsibility? What's the parent's responsibility? Like I'm a big mental health guy, right? So, you know, I've taught that to my son since he was like five or six, because I don't expect school to do that. And, you know, same thing with like testing ideas. I ask him questions. I just try to get his little, his little wheels turning and thinking. And, yeah. And, and I, I guess like, that's kind of where, you know, some of the issue is, is like, what's, you know, what, what should the parents be doing at home? Cause if the school's not doing, it, cause we got to, <laughs> redo all these curriculums and everything, but maybe you could help me with this. And this isn't just for my son, but it's for all of us. And yeah. you touch on this a little in the book too. Is there, is there any point where you're too skeptical? That's, that's my issue, right? I, I question everything. Like I remember you and Michael Shermer talking like, are people naturally gullible or skeptical? Right. And whenever, like, 
you you introduce yourself to me. I'm like, is this guy's name really Andy? And I start questioning it. Like my immediate reaction is skepticism. And I don't even know if that's unhealthy. Like so it, it is unhealthy, in fact. And that's a wonderful question, right? So um, a lot of us who are raised in in the Western philosophical tradition or who are raised in our current world where critical thinking is is prized, uh, at least in high, you know, higher education circles, critical thinking is practically a sacred value. Um, yeah, a lot of us say question everything. In fact, I had a bumper sticker on my car for many years and said question everything. But one thing I studied in graduate school was the question of whether it's possible to, to question more than is healthy. Yeah. <laughs> to be whether it's possible to be too skeptical as well as not skeptical enough. And the answer is yes, it is possible to be too skeptical. Um, there are some questions that are not worth asking. And in fact, a hyper-questioning mindset can turn you into a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> okay. That's, right? good, that's so, good enough to scare me out of being too skeptical, I guess. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, I mean, if you actually, so a friend of mine um, went on, is a philosopher of science who went undercover at a flat earth convention. Mm -hmm. And what he discovered was that some of the leading, leading thinkers in flat earth theory, they're not dumb. Oh, they're yeah. enormously clever. And they've worked out these very sophisticated arguments. The problem is their minds are, are, uh, are inflamed by a, a need to question things that aren't objectively questionable. Like what? And not question things that really are objectively questionable. Like what, what sort of things are... So I'm going to use a joke here to illustrate this point. Okay. Right and, uh, as a, so Fred, the flat earther dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and said, come on in, Fred, uh, you're lucky customer number 100. You get a chance to chat with God. So Fred marches into God's inner sanctum and says, God, I've been a flat earther my entire life. I just have to ask, uh, is the world flat or is it round? And God like goes, oh, he says, Fred, Fred, Fred. Sorry to say this, but the world is very, very round. And then Fred's face registered shock and then recognition. And he says, this conspiracy goes higher than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I, I, that, that was another question I was going to ask. And I, maybe this ties in together was you, you talk about sufficient evidence, mm. right? Like, so, so for like Fred, Right. Talking to God, like if God, the creator told him, is that sufficient enough evidence? How do we, how do we know when we have enough evidence or, or is this something worth diving into? Like the, the ridiculous example I gave earlier, where I could question whether or not your name's Andy, like how far am I willing to go? How, how much time am I going to spend trying to find sufficient evidence for something like that? Good. Yes. It seems to me that when I, when I meet somebody, like when we meet on and you tell me your name's Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy not to question that because I have very good reason to think that your self-report of your name is reliable. I can't even imagine why you would lie to me about something like that. And, and so for me, uh, I don't waste a lot of mental energy <laughs> asking, you know, questioning, is this guy really telling me his real new name? I mean, clearly that would be kind of a mm -hmm. wasted use of mental effort. Um, and that goes to show, I think, that uh, the important thing is to ask, not, not to question everything, but to question the right things in the right way at the right time to the right degree of skepticism <laughs> mm -hmm. and and the question of you know what is the right degree what is the right the 
what is the threshold for sufficient evidence? That, that's a really hard one to mm-hmm. answer. But, but I do know this, that the, the amount of evidence required is, is, is always context sensitive. So con- contrast the two, the following two cases. Um, case one, I'm hanging out at the bar with a bunch of buddies and we're arguing over who's the greatest running back in the game. And I just decide to, you know, stick my chest out, stick my, my, my chin forward and say, uh, Le'Veon Bell is the greatest running, running back in the game. And, and here's why. And I give you a bunch of reasons and the rest of y'all can just go take a hike. Mm-hmm. Now, now the relevant standards of evidence for that kind of shooting the shit talk is pretty low. Yeah. In fact, a lot of times you keep it low just so that you can have the fun of, of, uh, you know, pugnacious guy talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now, now imagine you're a, you're a safety engineer at a nuclear plant. Mm. Now the evidence standard, the threshold of sufficient evidence is, is higher now mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, con- because the, uh, because the consequences of being wrong are much higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I can't basically say, I, I can't say in a context sensitive way that 95% likely is the relevant threshold across all contexts. Now it doesn't work. Like yeah. That. It, it depends. Like we have to work out, you know, the consequences if we're wrong and, and things like that. Um, and exactly. yeah. And, and kind of like what you were talking about too, like this kind of like waste of mental energy. Like sometimes I, I, when I, when I notice this, like kind of extreme skepticism, I, I really enjoy books. Uh, I had a previous guest, Stuart Ritchie, who wrote science fictions, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of authors who dive into studies and they talk about how these studies were done, you know, incorrectly, or there was biases, or you have people like Andrew Wakefield and stuff. But every single day we're inundated with news about the latest study, the latest research, and, you know, with so much bias and polarization and political agendas, like, so like whenever I'm, I'm reading or hear anything, I'm like, do I have the time to go in and look up that research paper and see what the sample size was, see if it was conducted properly? Like I would go insane. So, so right. what is, what is a, what is a man like you with building your <laughs> mental immunity? How do you, how do you deal with that? Because those can have consequences, right? Like the COVID vaccine. That, that's right. Know? No. And this is a great question, right? Because no one of us has enough time to go down all these rabbit holes and 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 find out whether so and so's you know claims about alien abduction are really evidence based or not. Um, look, the, the I think the wise thing to do here is to recognize that we have to crowdsource the search for truth. No one of us can do it ourselves, mm-hmm. and this means that you. you, you you, you hazard your own sort of cutting edge opinions in areas where you're a real, where you have developed expertise and you withhold making confident pronouncements in areas where you don't have much expertise, but you're also entitled to have pretty good assurance where, where, where other experts who don't have an ax to grind have come to some kind of consensus, mm-hmm. right? So, so there are lots of experts out there who, who, who tell me that quantum physics, that the equations of quantum physics are, are right, that there's just piles and piles of evidence that the equations of quantum physics are right. I have no way 
of testing that theory myself. I just yeah. don't have the competence. But people I respect and who've earned their stripes and who have zero political, uh, uh, ulterior political or motives, um, who have zero scientific in, uh, in incentive to kind of try to pull a, uh, you know, to, to fool us about something like that. I'm, I'm content to rely on their authority mm -hmm. in cases like that. And that's very different from just relying on the authority of cranky Uncle Frank, who happens to have gone down a particular rabbit hole on the internet and who claims that uh, the election was stolen. I mean, that's just not the same. Yeah, no, that 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 definitely makes sense. And, uh, and yeah, like, I, I don't know, because I... Something, one of my goals with this podcast and the content I make and stuff like that is to try to get, you know, to, to the average person or the cranky Uncle Frank and, and things like that. But do you think, this is something I, I wonder about, do you think that people often neglect or aren't aware of some of the motives behind who they're getting the information from, mm. right? Mm. Like, like, you know, for example, the, the you know, the, uh, conspiracy about the fraudulent election, right? Like Good. it was different. You couldn't find, you know, people on the opposite side who were like, hey, there is some evidence. Something I personally do is I try to look for the, like you were mentioning, I try to look for the best evidence against what I believe in, right? From a respected Good. person with some authority. But, um, but yeah, do you think people aren't really aware? Like, oh, this person might be getting paid. They might be making money. They might, you know, something exactly. might be dependent. Like, do we not question that enough? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's actually a, a beautiful question to ask. So it turns out there are a whole lot of people getting making a ton of money by spreading disinformation on the internet. Mm. And the way they do this is they exploit mental immune systems, they hijack gullible or vulnerable minds, and sometimes they fill them with conspiracy theory or just, you know, toxic, you know, the idea that climate change is a hoax, that's perpetrated by the by the fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. The idea that the election was stolen, that's been perpetrated by Donald Trump because it, it serves his political interests. Mm -hmm. There are hugely biased people out there who are spreading disinformation on purpose to feather their own nests. And if you buy what they're selling, they're playing you. Mm -hmm. um, and you're letting yourself get played. So uh, you, I, I think the question, what is the source of this information? Is this information reliable? And who would benefit from me believing this? These are critical questions to ask. Um, and it turns out that, um, you know, your skilled critical thinkers ask them, you know, make a habit of asking these questions. And they get relatively good at spotting the disinformation peddlers out there. Mm. Other people don't have the benefits of a fancy education or, a, you know, a an inspiring teacher who actually who actually helped them understand these things and they fall prey often not because they're stupid mm -hmm. but because because this our society hasn't hasn't equipped them mm -hmm. um, but we can take a patient understanding attitude help equip them and help guide them out of the rabbit holes they've fallen into and again that's hard work but mm -hmm. i think it can't there, there's beautiful and inspiring examples of people who've done that for people mm -hmm. who are in, uh, who've fallen into rabbit holes. And um, my, my own 
efforts focus not on curing people who have profound uh, mind infections, but in preventing mind infections. So mm. it turns out that an ounce of prevention here is worth a pound of, of cure. Yeah. It's far easier to inoculate a mind against a conspiracy theory than to help somebody get out of a cult. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that definitely, that make that makes total sense is try to prevent it from happening in the first place. And then eventually that, you know, that will just kind of die out, you know, those bad ideas and, and things like that. That's um, yeah. Um, and God, Andy, I could sit here and talk to you all day long, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one, one final question. Um, something that you discuss in the book is that we, you know, when we have these conversations, when we talk, when we debate ideas and everything, uh, we have to yield to the better reason, right? Like there's some point, like even the analogy you gave or the, the, the hypothetical you gave at the bar talking about the best running back and stuff. Um, why do you think, and you know, I'm sure there's some neuroscience behind this and stuff. Like, why do you think it's so difficult for us to just yield to the better reason? Like dog cognitive dissonance kicks in and we're like, nope, nope, nope. Even with the evidence, nope, I'm still not gonna believe it. Why do you, why do you think that that happens? And I don't know what what can we do. Yeah, about well, that? yeah another another lovely question. So I, I think one of the key takeaways from this new science of mental immunity is that our mind's immune systems um, react to threats to the beliefs that are currently on board, but they don't always react properly to bad information. Mm. And sometimes they they get confused and attack good information. So by, by becoming aware of the way in which your, your own mind's immune system works and helping it work better, you can begin to solve these problems and become less susceptible to these things. Hey, here's how, let me use an example. Um, when the COVID pandemic was breaking, Donald Trump for a while held daily news conferences about it. He loved the attention. And mm -hmm. at one of those conferences, he mused out loud that maybe we could treat COVID by injecting disinfectant into people. Mm -hmm. And when he said this, he turned to his right and looked at Deborah Burks, who was the head of his coronavirus task force and somebody with some expertise in the area of, you know, pandemic prevention. Mm -hmm. Um, now, the liberal progressive media went nuts about this because Donald Trump's suggestion just seemed to me to be, to so many, including me, to be utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Now, ask yourself this. I, I'd like each of your listeners to ask yourself this. Um, what happens in your mind when somebody makes a suggestion like that? Oh, yeah. just, ingest, in, just inject disinfectant and then you won't be infected, right? Makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so well, let me ask you, Chris, what, what happens in your mind? When I, yeah, I, well, uh, my thing, um, I ask, I'm like, who, what authority is saying this? What are their credentials, right? And where did they get this information from? And does anybody agree with them? Especially something like going into my body. So Chris, you just, you just mentioned three questions, three yeah. very good questions. Those questions are the antibodies mm. of the mind. In fact, questions and doubts generally are the mind's antibodies. And when they, when your mind generates the right kind of questions in the right way, your mind's resistance to bad ideas like, oh, why not inject disinfectant, mm -hmm. gets stronger. 
Mm. Now, not everybody who heard that news conference has a, a mental immune system as healthy as yours. In fact, one public health official reported that a woman called in to ask whether she should inject bleach into her, her kid or feed it, feed bleach to her what? kid. Yeah. Yes, this, this actually happened, right? Mm -hmm. And this happened because number one, Donald Trump was musing out loud about something that nobody who has uh, you know, a high school education sh sh should yeah. even entertain. Um, and he was doing it in front of cameras that were rolling so that lots of other people could get the wrong idea. Mm. It was hugely irresponsible of him to do that. And anybody with a well-functioning mental immune system should have spotted that right away. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So the fact is uh, there are many, many ways to strengthen our resistance to bad ideas and to mm -hmm. get better at letting in good ones also. Mm -hmm. And I talk about them in the book. And mm -hmm. although this, this podcast is a wonderful chance to get out some of the core ideas. If any of your listeners are interested in developing their own immunity or helping their loved ones develop deeper immunity, I, I hope you'll check out the book. I think you'll find it worth your while. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and everybody should buy a bunch of extra copies for Christmas and just hand them out to people on the streets. <laughs> there it is. Oh yeah. And yeah, like I said, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Cause I could, I could sit here and talk about this, this stuff forever, but uh, I think, aside, yeah, I'd, I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Um, for, for everybody listening, uh, aside from the book, is there anything else you got going on or where they can stay up to date if you're going to be on other podcasts or featured anywhere or yeah. anything yeah, like so that? Two, two, two good ways to sort of keep up uh, with uh, my work in this area are my website, andynorman.org is one place. I, I list uh, a lot of my media appearances uh, and podcasts there. Uh, I have a Facebook author page, Andy Norman mm. Author where uh, you can get a steady stream of, uh, of helpful hints for how to strengthen your own mind's immune system. Uh, and I'm also building a research collaborative mm. uh, that can help us develop the science of mental immunity rapidly enough to help address this critical moment in history when disinformation seems to be tearing at the fabric of our, of our culture. So I'm, I'm hoping that that research collaborative will also put us on the fast track towards herd immunity to cognitive contagion. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So, so yeah, I will have all that stuff linked down below along with your amazing book. And thank you once again for coming on the podcast to discuss. Thank you, Chris. It's been a, been a pleasure. Let's do it again. Absolutely. All right. I, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Andy. We actually recorded it a couple weeks ago and re-listening to it. Like, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's by far one of the, my favorite conversations that I've had. Like, I, I love the whole analogy of building that mental immune system. And, you know, I, I talked to so many amazing authors and thinkers and everything like that. But I remember ending this conversation with Andy and just walking away and like, and I, I felt I felt like I had just like a whole new bag of tools. And since that conversation, I've been going back to a lot of the things that we discussed and a lot of, uh, you know, things that uh, Andy said about building your uh, mental immune system. And yeah, it's it's been amazing. So yeah, uh, again, make sure you check down in the description below. Go to um, 
Andy's website. Check out the stuff he's posting. I'll link his uh, Twitter uh, as well as his Facebook author page. But please, please, please do yourself do yourself a favor and grab a copy of this book. And you think I was joking? Do you think I was joking when I said that you should buy a bunch of these and hand them out to people at like Christmas? I am not kidding at all. <laughs> this book is is absolutely needed right now and i think my biggest takeaway from this conversation was too was you know um because i'm always wondering like who's the target audience do you think like a, a conspiracy theorist is going to uh, pick this up it's it's a more of uh, more people like us with open minds and trying to learn and improve and build our own mental immunity when we when we start kind of spreading that message around you know just like anything else and like creating kind of awareness around it like we're just we're just going around and planting seeds so that's kind of what i've been trying to do um because i i don't like i don't like confrontation but i do like the idea that i might be helping some people so i think that was one of my biggest takeaways so anyways again huge thanks to andy for taking the time to come on here uh and make sure you check out his book and get some copies for some other people and make sure you check out the description down below for my social media links at the rewired soul and there's also some other links if you want to support the podcast in any way as you know i have a reading habit i have so many authors coming on too so if you want to support the channel uh you can buy some of my books at the soul.com i've written some mental health books um and also there was an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, again, as many of you know, I am a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. I've struggled with depression and anxiety for most of my most of my life, and mental health is my number one priority. So uh, I've personally used BetterHelp. It's been very, very helpful. So if you can relate to that, or you're looking to try out some new therapy, go ahead and check out the affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. But anyways. Again, make sure that you stay tuned in because all week we have amazing episodes. And if you're not yet, make sure you're following or subscribed to the podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review that helps get the message out there. And if you think this was a good episode, share, share it out there on social media. Help some people build some mental immunity. All right. But anyways, that's all I got for this episode. And I will see you all tomorrow with a brand new episode where I will be talking to Lee McIntyre about the scientific attitude and fun fact the person that andy mentioned that like snuck in not not really snuck in but like went in to a flat earther convention that's actually lee all right that's the guy i'm talking to tomorrow so make sure that you stay tuned for that all right have a fantastic rest of your day and i'll see you next time